Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, DJ here. I just want to take some time to talk about Werewolf the Apocalypse Retaliations by Flyles Games. This soon-to-launch game is brought to you by the same team that's bringing you Vampire the Masquerade chapters, and they just released a trailer to go along with it. We at 25 invite you to check it out at Werewolf the Apocalypse dash retaliation.com to catch a peek at the trailer and be updated of when it'll appear on kickstarter which seems to be early 2022 the game promises to have everything that made chapters endearing to us the fans including scenarios investigations beautiful miniatures and more with that thanks for your time welcome back folks we are of course doing today werewolf and we're going over the silent strider first edition uh accompanying me today on this journey is brennan hi everyone we can't do Nick today because it turns out people are busy as hell at work right now. That's because tomorrow is Turkey Day. A lot of people get like the rest of the weekend off because it's Turkey Day, Black Friday, and all that stuff. They tend to get to do that. Nick's in a posh corporate job. They let him do that. So uh, that's how it is. So he doesn't have time to go over the book with us today, but Brennan does. Why? Uh, he's the he's the editor. Yeah. So um, really, it's he could be here now or he could record pretending to answer the questions later. And kind of piece together one pod, so you're welcome. Thank, thank you, Brennan. To to be fair though, uh, Nick does have to go and hunt down his own turkey every year <laughs> for Thanksgiving, whereas I apparently just have turkeys fly into my backyard and my dogs take them down. Uh, so that's seasonal. That uh, should be happening sometime soon if yesterday's weather is any indication. Well, that's good because Nick also has to make his own cheese in Wisconsin, which is a hard thing. Yeah. Good cheese, by the way. Just you know, has to make it. Takes time. But uh, enough about Nick and his rural ways, and uh, we're going to get right to this book. Um, you know, arguably, does that make him more of a werewolf than you, or does that just make him the glasswalker? Or um, you know, you're more of a glasswalker, I'd say. That would make him like what kind does of it, a? I, I see the glasswalkers as just being the ones that like go out to like Kroger, and I'm not kidding about the turkeys in my backyard. That that's happened. It's happened before, and I I've had a couple of close calls in the past. So, That's uh, some glasswalker hunting, though, right there. Is it? Yeah, because, like, you know, technology, you have the weaver in your backyard, and, like, these turkeys find their way in, but you have your guard dogs trained to grab them. Is the fire pit the weaver? Because that's about the only thing I got out there. Okay, I'm going to have to take yeah, down that fire. No, you're right. You're you're right. Fire, fire bringers, right? That, that's a sign of the weaver. It's a tough thing. Um, but at least you got one thing down. The worm, your, your dogs are slightly corrupted. Eh. They do bark at only black people for some reason. That's eh, not something true. Something you can't even figure <laughs> out. And I don't know why. Because um, ironically, because your dog barked at me when I visited. You know, your dog barked at the random neighbor who showed up who was like, hey, I want to let you know something's up. And you were like, ah, what's going on? Or or it's probably because your dog's old and doesn't see as good. And, you know, people creeping up startle it. Now, I only ever saw one person come to your door. And it happened to be a, an African-American guy. So maybe I'm just stereotype throwing you under the bus for humor. It's not really a large enough sample size. Yeah, not really. I'm not even clear <laughs> on what that meant, but that's that's fine. That's fine. Uh, we're good. Awkward territory done. Okay, right, so good. Silent Striders. Um, this first edition tribe books like all the other ones. And so far, what I mean is they do a great, I think it's a great outline they got going on. The intro story is a comic to get you involved. That tells you a ton about the tribe book. And then they roll into sort of an in-character narrative perspective. Honestly, it's my favorite perspective to deliver a book whenever you have it. Because it gives you insight into what some Yahoo wants to tell you about the Silent Striders. 
Now, why do I like that some Yahoo does it? It's much like these reviews. I'm some Yahoo telling you about what's in this book. It doesn't mean I'm any less not truthful, but it inspires you to go hunt down the info and read it yourself and get your own version. That's critical. You don't, if you have an oral history, you don't want my oral history only. You want to walk around and be a prophet of Bob? I mean, that'd be fun. And actually, it's kind of cool to see that on postcard. I'm a prophet of Bob, put it on a shirt, whatever, preach the ways of Bob. Um, or Brennan, for that matter. But Brennan would just be a diet of straight-up hot chicken. I don't know if you can live that diet, but maybe not long. You said that with like some disdain or like negativity, and that just sounds like heaven. That sounds like my duat, Bob. Um, maybe it's because that is your duat. But I, I would argue oh. that I my my duat I can't even have if it's not fermented beans in uh, some sort of salad like food rice format. We're just we're just st- like I fantasize about eating steak today, and when oh. I was eating, it was super healthy for me and tasty. So I'm just putting that out there. So that's the difference. I forget what it's tempeh is what it's called, right? Tempeh is our life now, and it's tempeh is protein. Never heard this before. Well, that's why there's no profit of Bob because you have to have okay. a lot of steak Fair to be a profit of Bob. There's to be enough meat for it, and it's not there. Now it'd be tempeh and tears. So we have to we have to adjust that a little bit. <laughs> uh, thanks, honey. All right. Anyway, so where we're where we're going to from here is the uh, Sinistrator method of the intro goes over a comic book story where it starts off with a very stereotypical idea, at least I feel. All the other books kind of had a... I didn't feel they were so on the nose with the description of the characters. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I right, this guy, This guy is very much like what would be a... If you went to the Smithsonian Institute, I think I have that right, and you went to a, like a Tutankhamun display and saw the Egyptian garb and then read this tribe book, You'd be like, somebody made a comic book about what someone from Egypt would be like if they were lost in time and were a werewolf, (laughs) right? That's what it reminds me of when I see that. Not upset about it. I'm just saying that, like, I couldn't mistake this for being any other werewolf. Try it. Like, that would be my first guess is how they were drawn. It's a good drawing. Nothing wrong with it. But what do we got? We got this guy uh, just kind of, he's a silent strider and he's striding around. He's got things to do, right? He's on a mission. (laughs) And he goes through like this portal and uh, turns around. And he's like, oh, crap. There's a girl with no face. That's creepy. What do yeah. you do? But she can still talk, which I don't know about you. That struck me sideways. But uh, go ahead. It's because it's a comic and it's terrible that I say this. I read that and I felt awkward reading it. Yeah. Right? Think about it. Look at the comic a second. Tell me about it. Like, I'm like trying to be, I'm not super sensitive now, but I'm aware of the sensitivity of the world, right? Mm-hmm. We'll consider me woke, but we're not, I'm not like beating the bandwagon of, of whatever you want to call for most things. I'm just like, I'm me. Everyone's cool. That's my philosophy. However, when I saw this again, and it's the Egyptian guy walking up to this, and this is a ghost out of nowhere, and the face is missing, and the tears of it, and it can't speak right. I was like, are we making a plea for, like, when certain people die disabled, this silent striders help them out? Like, I'm not sure what that is. I was like, well, why do I have that idea? I'm going to tell you why. It's because completely removed of the mouth and no description of why that mouth is that way, it took me a second to realize what I was reading. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, it didn't feel like this was a werewolf apoc story this was just like uh very either surreal or like um displacing well they come running out of somewhere that's like the pit of hell right that's why i call it silent striding 
Yeah, he did say he was leaving Pittsburgh, so that sounds about right. Right, like he's coming out of the Umbra, and behind him are these tentacles like Cthulhu was Uh trying to swallow him, and he barely gets out. And where he's at, okay, skyscrapers, there's a spider. Why am I going to think that's the Umbra? I don't immediately think that's the Umbra, but the way it's drawn, it could have been like a misty place. There's some webs, no big deal. And uh, But it's not like everything's covered in webbing. Mm-hmm. Just looks like an industrial place. And then he's like, ah, oh, well, I guess I got to get through here. You know, I haven't lost too much time. Good, I'm here. All right. Thousand one shortcuts. Pittsburgh, right? Okay. And then he turns around and this person reaches for him and grabs him. I'm like, was this a homeless person? Something horrible happened? Did Zemisi do this to him? Why is the mouth not there? What is going on? And the please has little marks underneath to let you know that it's some sort of cold voice. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. Then the bony hand breaks when it moves and yells, let go, because they're creeped out. I was like, now I get it. And then they focus forward on you. You're like, oh, okay. This is this has got to be something dead. And it's like, it is. It, it's a ghost. And he's very rattled by it, right? He's like, get the hell away from me. Don't touch me. What the hell is going on? Then you get that they're in the penumbra. Now, um, why would that make me uncomfortable? It's because if you've read uh, enough stories of uh, people not taking into consideration I'm a big proponent of reading these these comments that I've read uh, about, well, I'm going to say it, about about industries that do cater to fantasy and whatnot, like what we do in role-playing, mm-hmm. role-playing games in general. And there's a lot of folks that feel they're not represented well. That's one of them, saying like they're not capable of being presented in a positive light in a positive fashion. And that's there. And I don't feel a lot of material is really catered to being that because material goes to normal or superhuman, Right. It's the ideals that we want to be or the very worst of villainy, but you never get someone who kind of gets over. The exception being there is a badass, well, I hate doing this, but there is a Lasombra confined to a wheelchair that's a bishop that they wrote, who is honestly what got me to love the Lasombra so much. And I can't remember his name, but I read about him in a novel that they had him in, and it was amazing to hear him use tendrils to overcome that and to be a fearful bishop, and it fits in. Well, in Werewolf, there are other ways they do get around a lot that goes on because at this point, the menace are still a thing that we have in here uh, that the werewolves have to you know, focus on. It's always a thing. And uh, that's the point, right? So if anything, a werewolf menace who has some stuff to overcome, you get that they're represented in a capacity. But you don't want to do that because that's not what it's about. You get what I'm saying? I, I think so. I, I, I think I am. So like the... Um... You weren't sure, like, how this person was being represented? Like, you thought maybe this was someone that was, like, maybe disabled in some way that was being depicted in this? Am I getting that right? right? Yeah, okay. Exactly. I thought this was a more heroic bent. Mm -hmm. By the way that drawing was, like, he'd come across someone and was going to help them. And that's what hit in my head. So, in other words, I'm pointing out I'm an idiot. (laughs) Right? I saw it immediately. Okay. And didn't think of any other way, and it happens. But I'm just telling you honesty, right? I believe it's honesty between us and listeners. I'm being honest. I saw that. That was my first take of it. And I was like, okay, I'm completely wrong. And the art backs it up and the words and all. So it's pretty good. Um, here's another thing. You guys don't know that before I read this tribe book, a complaint I, I was given, and two of them said that this tribe book was racist. Mm-hmm. So when I read this, you know, take care and take a look back and see what you see with fresh pair of eyes. So I tried to do that. But what happens is you then start reading to look for it. Does that make sense? Like yeah, you're not going to read like genuine, not now you're hunting it. Yeah, once you're made aware of something, you're hypersensitive to it, right? So they told me the comic was bad. I was like, is it? And then I saw 
it's the boy who cried wolf. It's like, you said it. I thought I saw it. I didn't see it. Context is there. But you can take anything out of context and then, like, demonize it, right? That's not what it is. And so it's good. But anyway, now they completely digressed and jumped off it. Let's bring us back. This story and who he found was a ghost. Right? We know werewolf. We know there's a number. We know there's a penumbra. You cross a gauntlet and all that stuff. But his, quote-unquote, shortcut, he thought he jumped into another part of the umbra. To get out. And what he really did was he fell into the Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the Dark Umbra. That's that's what exactly it seems it is, and that makes sense. And that's why that ghost is there. So he tells the ghost that he'll have to keep up as he's running through here. Because he's trying to take shortcuts. Ran from a bad place in the Umbra to another place, seemingly at random. And he agrees to help this ghost who's now going to follow him. Well, as he's kind of going through the ringer, uh, tells the ghost to keep up. And sort of an indifference, but more or less saddled with the new responsibility and plan on doing. But his first responsibility was to the guru. Right. So he makes it to the cairn. And uh, because I got a big question for you here after this, Brent. That's why I'm just kind of rifling through this. Gets to the cairn, hops out, delivers a message. And he's like, basically, here's the message I was supposed to give you two. And they're like, you just jumped out of the umbra out of nowhere. We don't know who you are. We're trying to check you out, right? You say it's for who again? Ah, it's a message for the Karen Warder. Is that message we need to stay alert on both this side and the other side? Why the hell don't you walk up better? Don't you wear a bell? Like, their whole way they react to this is like, Silent Striders just don't care. No, not at all. That that also was probably not the best Karen to do that at, because that was, I love the callback to the book we just reviewed. That was the Sept of the Changing Seasons up in, like, the, the Smoky Mountains, and that book already described them as, like, you know... There's a, they'll have bone gnawers and silver fangs in that cairn. They're more likely to work with each other than other members of their tribe that aren't from this area. So that was probably not the best one to just like drop by and pop out about. But um, <laughs> I, I did thoroughly enjoy that. But it sort of points out that this guy, the soundstrader's name is actually known as Mephi, faster than death, got a message for your cairn warder. And it sort of felt like that he was serving uh, a summons. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you <laughs> just got served. Subpoena to show right. up before he's, King he's, Albrecht. Right. <laughs> Trust me, part of the Trillium wants to know what's on this scroll. If he doesn't show up, he's screwed. Is he here? Just give it to us. I can't. Where is he? <laughs> right. They don't include that part, but I felt that should have been there. But it was good enough, right? Delivers his message, and they said, Hey, what's wrong with you? Whatever road you traveled, you don't smell right. And they're very cautious. And he's like, Ah, nothing's wrong. I'm totally cool. I'll see you later. I got stuff to do. And they're like, yeah, okay. Well, clearly they know about the Silent Striders, right? They have to. It's like the worst kept secret in the Guru Nation, right? Um, they're they're always bearing a stench of death. Have to. At some point, I shouldn't say always, but it's not unusual or unheard of where they travel to get a little on you, so to speak. I mean, you ever get a little on you, Brentron? Uh, a little bit. You know, after you've gone to like uh, get some hot chicken, that stench will come back with you. And someone's like, oh, you've been to Hattie B's again. And I was like, don't judge me. All right. Yeah, don't <laughs> so uh, to roll it out, basically he goes and helps the ghosts. Long story short. Now I could tell you what's exciting about this. I'll leave for you because it's a comic. It's pretty cool to see it. And of course there's action. But I think the important part is it highlighting what it is that a strider, every strider has to deal with. Mm-hmm. It's that sometimes you're going to have to help a dead spirit. I don't know any other. Well, there's living spirits. But like the spirits of the dead will find you. You sometimes try to go to the Umbra end up in the, in the Shadowlands, and that's just kind of what their lot is. There's a curse that was put on them we'll get to later, but that's part of the deal. And so there it is. Now, 
Fun comic, drawn well, except for the end part. Here's your big question. How did you feel about, and I should explain this for everybody, to help the ghost, which is a wraith, to help the wraith, this thing, the thing, I'm sorry, the wraith needs an item that it's drawn to, and it's protected by something, and there's an action sequence, and the werewolf helps get rid of it, gets this dolly. And you learn that maybe the the wraith you're seeing isn't as old, or whatever that is. There's an interesting dichotomy, which, by the way, we'll get to that in a second, too. Just footnote that. Um, but it shows Memphis. He gets to this house in the suburbs, all smiling, just kind of rings the doorbell and tells the guy, hey, I talked to Emily. She loves you very much. Or she loved you very much and just walks off. Now, he walks off smiling. What did you think of that last part? That was, um, it struck me as really, really weird. I felt like this was the, the culmination of some, like, task uh, he was d- performing to help unburden a wraith, right? But I feel what he did with that is that's an incredibly traumatizing experience for the man he just dropped yes. that knowledge on and just left. I was like, you're just, he's going to be a wraith when he dies because now you've opened <laughs> up. For all we know, he had come to terms with his loss and you come up, knock on his door, say Emily loves you very much, you know, something that's seemingly reassuring. But then he's like, what? No, wait, come back. You know something. What do you know? Right? So now he has more unresolved trauma that he's got to work through and... I guess Nephi's smiling like, yeah, I'm a werewolf. I live longer. I'll see, I'll see you in a couple of decades to do this all over again. But, the important uh, part about this, I mean, important part about this comic, and yeah, 100% on that. And when you add to the fact that it's like, wait a second, that's right. She said she died in an explosion. Uh-huh. That's right. The part they go to, it's a bunch of corpses in the Umbra. They're just kind of twisted together. And it is sort of an amalgamation of that, some sort of painful entity that tries to strike out and kill them. And he has to defeat it to get this doll to bring it back. Which means we know how sudden explosions work. And we know that that sudden death could have left its mark. And it did. Mm-hmm. And it's bad. And he's, he's cleaning that up. right? He's providing resolution to a victim of it. Yay. Yippee skippy. Killed the worm creature. Brought it there. But like you said. What a dick move. He emotionally traumatizes the dead. Now you might be wondering why traumatized. If you were me. You go through the full, the full spectrum. Where he thinks he's doing well. He's kind of deadpanning the guy when he first tells him what's going on, right? He's yeah. like, you Mr. Yost? Yeah. I talked to Emily not too long ago. She loved you very much. And he just walks off, right? Most importantly, he walks off with her dolly still on him. Now, weird. Weird. Yeah, a little bit. Like, a little I, get bit. It's a, I get it's a wraith. I understand that. But you're walking off with, what, a fetter? Had to have been. That's why she was drawn to it. And you got to know that connection to get it, or maybe you don't. Maybe it's just a silent strider thing to collect trophies of the ghost you hunt. I don't know. So instead of leaving it with the dad, he just says it. And in every bit, it's kind of like a weird death cult. I thought about it. If you were him, wouldn't you call the police? Hey, yeah. that bomb you're trying to solve? I absolutely would, but he'll probably just hop back into the atrocity before uh, the cops show up. Right. And it's not the catch, but it's like I can give his description. You can know what's going on. That doesn't matter. The end result of this is, is is not as important as the fact that it's still a cool comic. And I get that. But I was like always like I was kind of stuck in that going, hmm. Now, why would we think things like that? Well, there's a complex history uh, to the Silent Striders. And as they get into in Chapter 1, they talk about their sort of first steps and what's going on. Now, Brennan, what do they say about the beginning with the Striders? Like, what's the world like according to them with Gaia and werewolves as, as a whole? Uh, they describe it in a, a somewhat fascinating way in that um, 
back then there were, of course, this is in the time before there were tribes, right? But this is also a time before there was a gauntlet, right? Flesh and spirit existed uh, together simultaneously, which meant that there was no such thing as death, right? It didn't exist. It wasn't a concept. A mother, because like uh, even if uh, a mother or a father passed away uh, naturally, their spirit would still be here or they would come, the the concept of death just hasn't even manifested at that point. Yeah, it's it's weird how they put it, but they straight up say that matter and spirit were as, were, were, were as one. Now, because of that, there's no gauntlet. There's no need for an umbra. We're, we're just here. Spirits of people are one and the same. Mm-hmm. That's the trick. And like you said, no death literally means no one died. Things can be ruined, but they just reassembled themselves. I find it weird at the choosing of the wording the person's using that's describing this, right? People are matter. Flesh is matter. It's as if they don't matter. They were just always were, right? Like you're talking about concepts more than actual ancestry, right? Mm-hmm. Something that hit me is all. Uh, but he also quickly gives up a very important fact. It says, back then, names were names had power. They always do. And during this time, if anything got named, it was to define what it is. So in a way... Until you gave a name to something, it didn't have a limit. That's the implication, right? So maybe they were just beings that are serving under Gaia and who knows in what capacity. It just sort of gives a very creative way to look at that time as they were seeing it, right? More uh, more or less non-introspective. Just this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And they roll on, though. They said something interesting happens. The severing. And this is the part where it gets very interesting. Uh, because that there's no worm yet, they describe the fact that this severing jarred everybody. Because suddenly there were multiple worlds. You couldn't just find spirits. If someone were to be ruined, thus death occurred, they would vanish. There should be something of them left over, and they're now they're now gone. They don't, they don't know where they went, or they would see them uh, just uh, fade after a time, and no one knew what was going on. So everybody panics, right? They're, the line in there that they use is, why wouldn't a mother want to come back to her children after death? Right. And that's, and that's the thing, or after being ruined. And so that's that. This brings up interesting points of what they were used to. Well, the reason why the severings are problems is because they believe that the cause was the worm being born. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's- corrupting worm aspect, right? Because they do put a call out here that the worm existed or might have existed before it, but as a worm right. of balance. Exactly. This is the worm of balance, not what it becomes, right? Mm -hmm. Many people have stories. The most common and funnest one I love hearing is how the worm got trapped. Tricked by the weaver, right? Yeah. Goes mad from that. So remember, hold to that. But what they're saying is the severing, what caused the world to be separated, was that the worm was born. Like, this was always the plan. And the worm's purpose was to serve in that plan. And by being born, well, now we had to have different realms blocked off from other stuff. Because we're in a process of naming things. And in a way, they're correct. Because if the worm is born, because we're now naming things, we're now providing a place for everything, everything in its place, so to speak, this sounds a lot like the weaver's been around. A little right? bit. Bringing Sudden, it in. Suddenly that spider in the comic might make a little bit more sense as to why it was there. Exactly. And that's what it's sort of slapping home. And they kind of feel the same thing here. But sort of belief is that the severing occurred at the end of the impergium, though. Which is the important part. That the impergium had so much uh, death and pain involved in it that this created a precedent uh, to have this uh, this severing at all. Which means there must have been the worm before that. 
because there was naming and everything and there was different realms, but they really, there's a debate on it, sort of of a a light one. Like what came first, the chicken or the egg thing? Well, it doesn't matter because there's still a severing, right? That's sort of how they see it or a way to look at it. But then when we roll into the gauntlet forming, it gets weird. Now, we talked about the repairing of itself. We talked about the gauntlet, um, things being dead that don't return. And that's a bad thing. But they highlight the fact, imagine the first funerals. Everyone's immortal, no one dies, and then suddenly uh, Fluffy doesn't make it. As the tenth time Fluffy dove into the boiling hot vat to eat that one chicken piece for the, <laughs> for the soup you were making, and you keep trying to pull Fluffy out, and later on they'll shake it off and wake up and be happy they got that one chicken piece. Mm-hmm. But that chicken's going to grow back after being used in the vat, so we don't know what Fluffy was jumping for anyway. There's always more chicken. Or is that just me being a little too dark? If things grow back, you're all meat eaters and nothing dies. There's some horrible process that deer are going through, right? Yeah, some... a, a little bit. Uh-huh. <laughs> Think of Bambi. <laughs> and you hear, oh. And Bambi's like, this is just not fair. Like, can we stop? You guys killed me once and everybody ate me. That's BS. I'm back again. And, you know, maybe they had a trick where they're like, oh, yeah, who didn't who didn't wipe Bambi's memory? Can we get that up here? And they're like, oh, look at my finger, Bambi. Oh, look at you. Look at my finger, Bambi. Got some sugar. Bambi looks at the finger. She forgets. They eat her again, right? Who knows how it went down? I'm just saying. It, they don't ever describe that, right? So they just, the Imperium, though, was the enemy for the severing. They're kind of staging the ground here that the Gauntlet is also its own villain in doing things just like that, stopping from the dead returning. But again, this isn't good enough for them. And this is because... Along comes a guru that says, you know what? I miss my family. It's weird. Our mom and dad fell over. They haven't moved yet. And that's pretty much how he describes it, right? They're there. And where'd they go? You know, they just just disappeared. I don't know. set right with me. I'm going to go looking for them. So what I'm going to do is go walk into those woods as far as the eye can see. And I'm going to find them. And everybody else is just like, I guess she's leaving them. <laughs> like, bye, I guess. Her pack didn't go with her. Weird, right? It was just deuces. Well, they didn't need a pack. Well, still they're wolves. Like, where is it? But it doesn't matter. I, I'm not the strider of the tail. And they walk into the woods. They go for a walk. As she's going for this walk and whatever, she runs into a lonely tree. Who's in the tree, Brennan? The tree would be owl. The tree would not be owl. That would be ridiculous because the tree is a tree. However, in the tree is an owl. Or rather, the owl. And they strike up a conversation. Right, I believe it goes something along the lines of, uh, what are you doing here, wolf? Right, And the wolf explains that uh, it's seeking its parents. And um, I guess the owl the owl agreed to, to scout for it, right? Uh, because she described the, the road the wolf is taking is dark indeed. And though, you know, wolves can see a little bit better than humans, they can't. I think can't. you're being owl biased. Am I? I think, I think you know you're being, you're a little, you're a little, a little biased with owl here. Owl is really pretty cool here. Right? She's alone by a tree. You're cutting out the important emotional connection. I was like, where are you going? And that's the part that I like about it. Like, I was just always somebody you could have a beer with. Right? All right. Yeah, like, that's fine. I was like, hey, neighbor, where are you going? And she turns up, ah, I'm looking for my parents. Oh, well, all right. Well, I know where they went. What do you mean? I saw them walking out with that new death character that showed up. <laughs> what? That yeah. Death yeah. You know, death coming around, grabbing people, kind of taking them down the dark road over there. Leads to dark places down the dark road. You know, that's how he be. 
Everyone seems to like death. What a good guy. He's swell. And she's like, swell? That's sarcasm, young one. You don't want to go over there. Well, I want to go where my parents went because I want to talk to them. And I was like, whoo, well, all right. I guess you do, but uh, you can't see over there, can you? You can't see through all that because it's dark. And she's like, well, I, I got to go over there nonetheless, and I guess it'll be dark. I goes, whoa, whoa, I can see in the dark. Now I'll scout for you. And the difference between that telling and Brennan's telling is two things. One, Brennan's going, I have a phobia of owls, and they're out to kill me. Brennan actually believes this. Okay. Uh, it, I, I, it is very easy for one to believe factual things, but you are correct. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I deliberately baited him to talk about Al because it must have made his skin crawl. And I think that's funny. Uh, but, but Al in this story is really just uh, to kind of cut through the humor. We have to remember they're kind of establishing a precedent for the purpose of the totem. That yes. Al is a helping spirit in a time when Guru and spirits did get along. Things served a purpose. Uh, well, maybe they were just friends, right? And that's what it is. And so when Al saw her walking alone, was like, what's up? And that's what you got. And sort of a looking out for you relationship is built. And, and Al goes along for the ride. Because Al's super cool like that, and she goes. But, Brennan, something I know that you do enjoy about this story, I knew at the moment I read it. What happens when she encounters a certain door in the Umbra? She encounters a, a door, and it's uh, guarded by a spirit. I believe it's really just called, like, the Great Midnight Spirit itself. And, you know, barring the way, like, as though it's some, like, Cerberus-type uh, thing, right? <clears throat> and it says to the wolf, what are you What are you doing here? This isn't a, a place for you, right? But, um, and again, the wolf explains, I'm here, I'm here to see my spirit. Or my, not my spirit, but my parents. And... In I, I what I took as shiminage for this, right, as a as a the toll to be paid, she offered her heart, her still beating heart, she tore from her breast and handed to it. And as the spirit tasted it, it said, Your your heart is too it's full of life and virtue, and it is far too rich for my taste. Though I'm sure I'll taste it again sometime. Something to that effect. I can't just open the gates willy-nilly, right? I can't leave them open. However, I can leave them open for a time. So hurry, young one, and find the ones you're looking for. And they do just that. And this was an incredibly, like, sweet but sorrowful tale of the wolf running through and howling for those to follow him. And as she turns and quickly runs, because, again, there's a time limit here, right? Gates close at midnight. As it was running through, most of the human spirits stayed back because they were too afraid. And only some of the wolf's, uh, werewolf or guru spirits could even keep up with her at this point. But as she passed through the gates and was heading back, uh, she could hear the like the, um, the footpads behind her. And as she left, there was um, a brief conversation she had with her parents, which um, basically surmounted to, we can't stay here forever, but we can be here with you now. Uh, basically the, the beginnings of like the ancestor spirits. I, I took this as this story is the reason why the rest of the guru even have access to their ancestor spirits. Absolutely. They're not really talked about here yet in the capacity other than they always have been. Mm-hmm. And Astratus provide an origin story for ancestor spirits because a great deed had to be done to allow them to come across after death. Right? So they acknowledge the fact that when you die, you're a spirit. So your physical form's here. You're now standing in the spiritual one. And death will cart you off. Right? That's how it works. However, this is also very much uh, a powerful tale, right? Analogy sort of thing. 
And, and maybe not that. They're just telling a story within a story, I kind of feel. But in a very powerful way, this will cause you to stop and go, I could take it as its simplicity as that's what actually happened. But again, the person telling the tale is a strider and they're just being entertaining. But the wisdom's there. So Al is a wisdom spirit. Mm-hmm. Al's guiding you. You're following Al. I'll lead you to this door. The spirit that challenges you is the door itself, right? It doesn't have a form. There's just a door. And we don't know what it is. It's just a voice she can hear, right? It sounded like something that was being th- falling down a well, like an avalanche down a well sort of thing. I believe is the analogy, if I'm correct, that's the actual one. Terrifying thought. The voice of the spirit, very deep and resonating and all. And it was very much like you said, what are you doing here? This isn't for you. Now, it challenged her by saying, uh, more or less, what are you going to give me? What do you have to offer to let you in? Was the idea. Why should I open this gate? And it's a puzzle. It is outlining two things, right? You're right. It's a form of chiminage. Nothing will be done for you by a great spirit or any spirit unless something's done for it first. got to remember, the spirit rules have changed. And there's a whole world of spirits that maybe weren't there before. Now, before they said spirit and matter were one, which means there wasn't a severing. And indeed, they were one. So this is the first time they actually have spirits separate from the matter. The matter being flesh as they've known it. Or in another way, the physical world and the spiritual world were one place. They didn't understand the term spirit as being anything separate. Well, she had to learn real quick. And Al was guiding her through that process. So to me, she's also the first theurge. She's the first theurge to go forth, to be guided by Al, a spirit of wisdom, to be going to a gate, to conquer a gate. By the way, highlighting that I'm not the only person, author or otherwise, that feels that a gate is the biggest obstacle of any player group ever. And, this, and, they're, and they're all serious. Don't mess with the gate. And uh, yeah. I, I, I sigh like that because I have been felled by a gate more times than I'd like to admit. So here we go. We have another gate. But Offering the Heart ends up being a story that is uh, it's definitely echoed throughout this book, right? Now, right here, she offers her heart and it's filled with virtue, but that's only after it licks it, right? It licks all the important pieces, but doesn't eat any of it, saying it's alive and too filled with virtue. It's not for me and disappears. And you would be shocked to know that what we'll learn here soon enough. And remember this, that spirit isn't just any night spirit. That is the worm. Oh, you want more? Keep that in mind, and we'll move on. So as we roll through the story, and she does it and comes back, there's another important event, right? She can't talk, or she chooses not to talk about her her travel. Mm -hmm. She went through and saw a lot more than just ran in, ran all around howling, and came back. She saw a lot of things where she was. And when she came out, she just kept to herself. Let everybody think what they want about what happened. The ancestors came back to talk to the people that were like her wondering where they went, and then she went back to that tree to hang out with Al and sat, keeping her stories between her and Al. And that was it. Now, why is that? Well, to me, this is another mark of wisdom as well. Mm-hmm. It highlights the fact that a good theurge will not give random knowledge to people that would endanger them. Right, because this is the type of knowledge that has weight. Right, What's gone through was a, was a harrowing experience. The knowledge that this silent strider or the first strider, I'll just call it from this point forward, or what got was like well-earned, but having knowledge of death of this new thing and this like great thing is, um, it, it's inherently dangerous. As it should be, right? This is badass knowledge. 
Now, that's that story. Severing the gauntlet is good. It forms. We know how she brought back the first ancestor spirits to teach everybody everything. And at the same time, brilliantly highlights the relationship the guru developed with totems. Mm-hmm. All right. With spirits. The spiritual relationship is there and a necessity. Owl didn't just have eyesight and she didn't just follow Owl willy-nilly. We can get the inference that Owl granted her the ability to see with its own eyesight. The ability to see as Owl does. That's sort of, you know, in a way, it's pointing out this is how she learned her gift. She did as Al did to run through a very dark place, but accepted Al as that that mentor of hers. And Al very much accepted her company as Al does. Seems very, uh, what is it, sparky. Al, is that the term? When someone's a little, little, little chippy? Like, spunky? Know. Yeah, go get him. That's what I kind of felt. Maybe not 100%, but Al in my head was like, yeah, you want to go? You're not going without my eyes. Let's do this. Yeah, let's go to the death world. Yay, that's exactly something an owl would say. Well, I just think it's cool because when he asked, why do you know you can't get there, you can't see? And she was like, well, neither can my parents. And I was like, Al's getting face-palmed, right? That's what that was. Well, my parents can't see, and I went, well, I can see you're not backing down. Let's make this a trip, right? And that's how it went. I was like, go, girl. You get this done. You're getting it done. I was with you. All right. So when that's done, this guy quickly goes, well, that's the cool part. And I feel that he was like, well, unfortunately, stick your feet in this pool of water and cool them a little bit because this story goes bad now. That's our origins, and that seems pretty cool. But, uh, yeah, the Impergium sucks, and we were villains, and we shouldn't have done it. That's basically what he does. They're like, excuse me? Yeah, the Impergium. Wasn't this the point where the, the teller was telling the pump, hey, uh, pass me that beer? Because at this yes. point, it just goes downhill from here. It's just <laughs> all bad from here. We had that good setup at like, hey, um, yeah, the humans, right? You know, they were there. Hey, uh, I want you to imagine that, you, that you're human parents back in those days and you had twins. Or twins nowadays. That's a blessing. Everybody's happy. Everybody shows up. Yay, twins. What a blessing to the household. You lucky Drew. Elbowing the dead. You straight shooter. Aha. Aha. Everyone's happy, right? Yeah. Put them in the Impergium and suddenly that shit ain't funny. During the time of the Impergium, you had twins and you had humans going, uh, and the werewolves were, that's a shame. But I'm like, it's dark. It implies some dark stuff happened as a group was like, Ah, uh, well, maybe we won't kill one of the twins. Those are babies. But old man Firebringer, you son of a bitch, you brought fire to the world, didn't you? You think that was cute? Let's get him now. Let's kill him. No more fire for you. Right? Monkey people. How dare you evolve? Right? Or whatever it was, but he's implying that Guru were at the top and were pissed. That suddenly man knew how to do things and were making tools and were uh, being able to survive and thrive in this environment much faster than a lot of the other... Uh, species right because that's just what man does we survive and we multiply it's kind of what we do right and that way we're like baby's kids and if you get that reference you are not 20 just want to outline that if you know what baby's kids are without looking it up i know you okay anyway um brentron you don't know what baby's kids are right <clears throat> uh, no that's right you can google food later and the tag on it is baby's kids we don't die we multiply it was a callback you should pick that up I'm proud of it. Anyway, um, right. <laughs> you'll see it and laugh, I promise. All right. So that's what happens, basically. Imperium sucks. We shouldn't do it. It's bad. But their ultimate point to get away from the silliness of it all was that we didn't do the same thing to wolves. Their problem is not that there needed to be a balance. Their problem was, was that we limited it to only one species. They targeted humans because they feared humans so much. Well, what about the wolves? We lived amongst them. We coached them. 
We guided them. We hunted with them. We trained them and we bred with them. And because we were with them, they kept a healthy balance. What would have happened if we did the same thing with humans? Guess what? Probably the same thing. And because we would have been with them, to this day, we wouldn't have the veil. Because the veil developed because we were villainous in this impergium. What we did made them fear us. And thus they suffer that terrible fear whenever they see a werewolf, right? And this innate hatred towards them because we put that there. So much so, it's almost genetic when it happens. And indeed it is, right? We know that. So great. If that's how they feel about the Imperium, though, naturally they lighten up with the War of Rage, right, Brennan? <laughs> of course not. Of course not at all. That was... Uh, um. They see the War of Rage as, of course, like a, a giant mistake from the get-go, right? They even go in to say, um, what was it? They list their three species that were outright destroyed, and they go into the uh, both the Macaulay and the the cat-changing breeds, especially. You can't cheat. You got to call them how they call them, right? It was like snake people, cat people, right? They didn't yeah, exactly the name them. The snake people and the uh, and the cat people still bear intense hatreds to this day, so much so that uh, it makes traveling through their territories incredibly dangerous. Now, why I'm a stickler for that, Brennan, anybody listening, is because you got to remember the flavor of the book you're reading. Mm-hmm. So the silent strikers are teaching each other. They don't exactly know what those things are, but they're aware. They're acknowledging they exist. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing. Because later on in this book, they straight up have the 411 on what a vampire is and know what they're dealing with. Yeah. Where no other tribe exactly has that down, even the Shadow Lords who have a close association with some aren't entirely certain and get close to naming things exact but don't have it down. These guys straight up know what foe they face. Uh, come later. That's why I do that. Because it, that way the flavor's still there. Call them cat people. They're not known as best at. Well, it's because you, my friend, haven't met one to have a relationship with yet. And that's still room for a good story. My point. Hmm. But I, uh, I get to the exciting part now. It's the side part everybody waited for. Right? Oh, and l- unless you wanted to expound upon about how the War of Rage was terrible and they were like, it sucks further. Not really. Uh, <laughs> they, uh, I, I say not really because it's not a giant part of the book and we've, no. we've gone into the War of Rage many, many a time. Uh, this is an important perspective that they have. But they don't really give us anything new or deeper with it. Right. It's just that it was bad. It's just throwing their hat in with the fact that it should not have happened. But there is one thing they do where others did not. Oh, yeah. yeah. They they do not really blame the, the survivors of it for their hatred of the guru. They kind of put it out like, yeah, it's understandable. But others do that, too. Right? There's some others. But I'm talking the one unique thing that they acknowledge. Gaia made werewolves to be warriors. Yeah. They're her first for that very reason. The warriors came first. That's what they believe. That's what they said. But they acknowledge that every other type of changer clearly served a purpose for Gaia. And what the werewolves did, that's really why it's so terrible of what happened during the War of Rage. Because of course they were going to win. They were the warriors turned bully assholes is what that's about. And they're not, they're not proud of it. That's As we said, it all goes downhill after she goes to the tree and just chills with Al as if she saw the future maybe. And uh, who knows, right? But a little on that in this book, too. But then we go to Egypt. They, like, skip. They're like, okay, cool. Now that you know we feel bad about stuff, we get to Kem, right? We get on to Egypt, and things are, well, Egyptian, aren't they? 
Uh, yes, I think that that's where they started dancing, like the, you know, you can't see me right now, but I'm doing the dancing, like the, the classic song. walk like an Egyptian song. Yes, yes, popular song, but yeah, um, maybe, maybe a tad offensive to people uh, from Egypt. Maybe, I don't know. I've never heard anybody offensive. It's a great song uh, to listen to. It was a little trendy, but uh, a long time ago, requiring ample amounts of cocaine for pure enjoyment. Not that I've ever taken it, but that seems to be the candy of choice when listening to that song, I'm told. That said... And bumping from there, <laughs> get it? <laughs> um, I'll just kill it tonight. Um, we're getting over to the uh, the point of them in Egypt. Now, when the Striders get to Egypt, it wasn't like they went there and instantly the doors were opened up and everybody was happy. They described getting there to a time when some green was in Egypt. Mm-hmm. The, the, the land of green and red, they described it, right? Because their land wasn't like all of Egypt. It was along the Nile itself. That's where like all the civilizations in both uh, Egypt... Uh, the upper, the lower kingdom, and I believe what was called Cush, the lower kingdom, they all developed. And and they have that, right? And what they're describing here is that it went pretty much to history like you'd understand. When civilizations get there, some sides don't agree with others, but it's still pretty much mortal problems. And they were, they were observing what happened, finding their place in the world as it is. And um, that was cool. They hung out there for a long time. But that's they go very quickly into what the problem was. It's all the damn vampires. <laughs> There's right? so they, many. There's they so roll, many. They roll right into it. They're like going, yeah, you know, everything would have been great if we would have killed Set and Osiris when we saw him. Wouldn't that have been a thing if we just killed them out the gate? And I was like, huh? <laughs> right? Because before that, they're like going, hey, man, here's the thing about Egypt. Egypt believes in two things. One, first off, having a good time. They invented the phrase in chem, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. Made famous, right? I believe the Spartans said something like that. You know, dying in the shade was related to it or whatever. And uh, that's kind of what it is. It falls back to that comment. And I was like, yeah, cool. You know, I didn't bother looking it up, but that's a cool phrase. We all love it. But then they roll into the fact that it's not bleak, their existence. Just because the Egyptians, as they say, kind of worship death. Kind of obsessed in the afterlife. And that's true, historically even. And they kind of get with that. They believe you live as good as a life as you possibly can in... Uh, and, and, you know, basically you live a life that is law-tempered and justice, meaning you keep a balance of virtue. And only the virtuous would be there. And that's what the, as they point out, the philodoxes strive for. When you do that, this state of purity and that balance is called ma'at. Mm-hmm. And when you reach that state of ma'at, that's a good thing because when you die, your heart is weighed against a feather, that feather being ma'at itself, to be judged. Now, when in balance, kick ass. Welcome to the badass afterlife. In the duat, as they believe it. Because the duat to the Egyptians is supposed to be a life of glory and fun and virtue, just as you lived in life. Since you lived it there, forever and more, you'll dance around with the pharaohs doing the good stuff. You know, eat, drink, and be merry, so to speak. However, if it was bad, you don't get to have an afterlife and you don't go to hell. What happens is the worm eats you. The worm served in this story. They're very direct about that, right? Just boom, there he is. Wait a second, what? That's right. The worm was born with purpose and had an, an, an excuse me an attribute of balance. His point, its point, was to end things. Hence, why it's related as a there's a death spirit. I want to mark this. I told you you're going to see the point. Death was separate. It was a spirit walking around guiding people where they go. Right. Then who was the gate? Well, the gate was judging, wasn't it? Uh, if there was no gate before the worm was made, then the worm is probably the gate. Okay, yeah. 
I see. So, I see where that's coming from now. And then it's like, well, what you give me to let you pass, lady? And she rips out her heart and does it not weigh her heart against the feather? Because yeah, ask yourself enough. in that story, if he would have tasted and liked what it tasted, because she's filled with corruption and dying, why wouldn't it just destroy her? Eat her. You belong to me at that point. Hell yes, you're beyond this door because welcome home. Right? That's how it is. So in a way, it tells a silent straighter version of this way your heart against the feather. And she passed. Right? But this means that that first strider, that first theorist was epic. Right? To meet the worm and go through it and not have recognized it for what it was. To come back afterward and realize you did recognize it for what it was. Right? In the aftermath. To see the length and breath in the land of the dead and come back with Al's eyes and that wisdom. But then you agree with Al not to give it away to fools. Right? It's not for the foolish. It's for those who seek wisdom that will go through Al to get it. That's how I took the story. And thus, fantastic tale. But to get back to this point. All right. So this worm is going to eat it according to the Shriders. Okay. Um, I believe the Egyptians, it was the, uh, it was Sob- Sobek or Sopk that would, that would, if you didn't meet judgment, would eat it. Your heart would get tossed in its mouth and eat it and you cease to exist. Was how it went, right? You're just disintegrated. And that was the cool thing. But that's it. Pass that test and you dance forever. Except the Striders go, yeah, if only the Egyptians were right and it was that easy. Because as right. they see it, they know there's a shadow lands. Mm-hmm. Now, you also told that part of the story where they come, she comes running out and all the spirits are following them and every human's afraid to come out. That's true. But with everybody charging out, there were humans that were knocked out, but didn't make it all the way because they couldn't keep up with the group. And they get lost in their own place called the Shadowlands because they become wraiths. And that's another distinction. Wait a minute. Those who fell out, those people went to the Shadowlands. So that means that door that she went through wasn't the Shadowlands. No, that's my second evidence that that was like Malpheus, right? That was like the realm of the worm. Like it's the great ender. So if it's able to eliminate and bring in, and that's its form of balance is to remove those things that should have died, that's what it was doing. And so in a way, she like gave everybody a chance to live a life according to Guile, almost as if ancestor spirits get to exist because the worm granted that permission. That's what's interesting, right? And it's like, hmm. But we all know the worm goes insane. And that's the point. So it's interesting of that Strider perspective there to kind of salt that, uh, that story a bit, spice it up. Well, now... How does this relate to Set Osiris and all that stuff? Well, quite simply, the Duat is what it's all about. Set's supposed to be the guy that kind of rules the gate of the lands of darkness of, of, of Duat itself. Right? It is supposed to be a world of the dead, and but the afterlife is arguing about to be different. And Set's supposed to be the gatekeeper, the wanderer, the one in darkness, the lord of things dark and bringer of storms, the red-headed demon child. <laughs> He's Set, right? Okay, cool, Striders. You believe it's that. Interesting. It's somewhere in there of that mix. But all right, there's tons of stories about Seth. Some make him a hero. Others make him definitely not a hero, right? Yeah, and, most. <laughs> and the Striders are like, he's definitely not a hero. However, Osiris is a dick as well. Let's point this out. Osiris was some Bedouin um, who was out in the deserts being aesthetic, living that life, and uh, just traveling about doing his thing. And yeah, he's a cool guy. Yeah, he's great and all, and it's, it's cool, it's, you know, whatever. But what wasn't cool is he's a vampire. And where he was trying to resist all the things that vampires do, he's still a vampire. If he was really that good, he would have walked into the sun. Exactly. But he didn't. And what was he doing? Warring with Set over what? Control of Egypt. Mm, mm, right? I smell so, propaganda. Exactly. I, this whole thing reeks of propaganda, right? Why are you dissing on Osiris? Right? Uh-huh. 
He's there living his best life, and you're dissing on him because he's standing up to set where you weren't. And set is such a problem that Horace has to come back from the dead. Yeah, because right? they talk about, hey, you know, we've we've had we like found the way into the Shadowlands, or like to to bring back ghosts and all this stuff. We also found mummies, you know, the things that can't die. Like no matter right. how many times you actually kill them, uh, you know, they're pretty cool. Uh, Horace is like number one, and uh, he he slugged it out with set. And all this stuff. And I was like, well, first off, Set's going up against werewolves, Osiris, other vampires, and literally unkillable mummies. And he's still winning. Uh, Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they made Set seem like he was unstoppable. Like, in in every story I've read about him. I was like, this is is terrifying. They refer to Set as the Dark One, right? And by the way, he is the Dark One because he creates badass Bane mummies like 2-2, the doubly evil one. Oh yeah, they were. I I loved reading of them talking about the Bane mummies because I could like feel the anger of the narrator. He's like, we've we've never been able to stop one. We've killed them in the real world. We've killed some of them in the Umbra, and they just keep coming back. And you know who keeps coming back? <laughs> the one I'm most terrified of, because I think is the most pimp, is the one with that name, Tutu, the doubly evil one. You're not evil once. We double down on that evil, and it's two two, right? Deal he, com- <laughs> he comes back as what was that guy's name from Goodfellas? Tommy two times. <laughs> That's two two. The double evil one. The double evil one said on purpose twice to say. Anyway. That's that's what happens. And like they're like, okay, great. So he beats Horace back and it's terrible, we can't do it. But guess what? They also mentioned that we had to unite. We had to like double triple team this cat. Everybody had to come. We were killing Children of Set by Setites by the score. Hundreds were being killed. What? In this time you're talking about there were armies of vampires? That's kind of twisted. Set's just uh, making them willy-nilly. And they're just charging forward and doing what they can. And you guys are the only ones fighting them. That's rough. Right? Okay. So then they go, but we managed to beat them. We're beating Set. What's Set do? Set curses them. What? Not only... So this this was actually new to me because I'd heard this before, right? Set banishes them from their own lands. Ne- not just their own lands, but never again will they have lands of their own. I also didn't know before this that he also severed their connection to their ancestors. Warbears, that one was new to me. What someone went through painstaking effort to get in the first place. That's cold, right? And made that happen. And that's and and I love actually kind of the wording here, which we'll now use because that's the point of having a pod. Is to have it. I think it's cool. Set shouted at them by the names I have spoken, O Lupines. I curse you. I place my mark upon you that you shall forever uh, severed from uh, thy dead fathers and mothers. I damn you with my touch that never again shall you rest in the lands of thy people. May the names of your ancestors be forgotten, and may their ghosts fade from hunger in the duat. As I was cast out. So shall you be exiled, voiceless and lost forever. Right? Pretty cool. But we know Seth's what? An antediluvian. What gives him the power to do that? Uh, Cain. Well, him being an antediluvian. At that point, he's a force of nature unto himself. This is why people say, apparently Cain's so pimp, he runs around and makes gods. Think about well, it. Well, he, he didn't, right? He made the people that made them. Uh-huh. So that means, what was the second gen? And how'd they kill him? You get it? Conspiracy hat for another time. I'm just saying. 
There's I'll evidence my, there to say I'll get my tin foil for that one. Right. You need a tin foil, but so do I. <laughs> um, but the point is, it's like, great, here's this curse. But what does that curse really do to them, Brennan? Like, what? how does it affect them mechanically? Oh, it's... Um... It scatters them, right? Like we were, like we were touching on before. They can't. Um, I forget the actual like time frame that's added, but um, they they can't ever stay in one place for more than too long. Uh, I believe that's also where they get the the weakness that um, when they uh, there's a chance that they will come across ghosts when they cross the Umbra. As you well. got it. That's what I was getting you to get back to. So there's a lot. That curse can confuse people, right? Because it's multi-tiered, mm-hmm. right? Ancestors severed, gone, forgotten, done. You ain't going to have them. And may their ghosts fade from hunger in the Duat, i.e. You're, they're, they got, you don't get to go to the Duat. They do. And may they never find their way, right? But it's interesting. When he refers to the Duat here, we know it's what the Egyptians refer to as the Duat. But we know the Egyptians didn't really have a good grasp, according to the Striders, mm-hmm. of what the Duat is. Because they know the Duat, the Striders, is the Shadowlands. That's the, that's clearly the dark umbra, the realm of the dead, is what they're kind of trying to throw down, and that's interesting. Even more so when you think of the fact that all right, so now that that happened, well, how how is this going to manifest to a character playing a silent strider? Well, every time you cross to the umbra and you botch that sidestepping because you got to roll your gnosis to make the sidestep across. If you botch it, you attract ghosts. Doesn't say if they're going to be good or bad, but you do attract them, and typically that's a great story moment. Right, it's something that ghost will want you to do something. Enter the first introductory story where they outline it. Right, Mephi just jumps somewhere, he gets to the Umbra. Man, that was a close one, but attracts Emily, Emily the ghost, and agrees to do something for her. Otherwise, he's not going to get rid of her because for some reason she's only needing his help. This is part of that curse, which is interesting. Well, for me, I find that interesting. Like, okay, you're going to do that, but what about that makes them so appealing to race? We don't know. Why is it that Set's curse make it to where those wraiths are drawn to them to help out? We still don't know. What's that relationship there? Have no idea. Nothing to explain it. Nothing to outline for you. What do I think it is? I think it's just a clever ploy for how they can bring Wraith the Oblivion into a werewolf game uh, mm-hmm. to benefit, right? It's to, it's to really help. And they're free to do it. And they're good to do it, actually. To integrate a product so you can see how it might work. Because there is a realm of the dead that the werewolves can go to. Don't want to go there. But it's a place that you go to. It could have some effect and maybe, you know, some benefit. I don't know what crossover games would be exciting to have Wraiths in when you're playing a werewolf. Most people, I think, would rather play a werewolf. I guess it depends on what it is that they're doing and what they're fighting. Most certainly, if it's a Silent Strider versus the Setites game, you absolutely can have a fun crossover with that because part of Wraith is Risen. And if you're going to have a Risen, you might as well have mummies. Right? And that's, and that's where we're at. That's a cool effect or cascading thing you could do. And a hint that you can do that. Because this is a veritable army that has to go up against set to elicit that response. And it's done and done. Now as we're winding down to the end, and we know that these guys scatter and kind of roam about. Oh, I'm going to preface this. There is a section that talks about uh, how the Setites travel around in a section called Gypsies. They mention that. Um, but they're quick to point out that you know they prefer to be called Romani. Right, Ron Caravans, and that's what goes on. As if they encountered before, they know the popular name, but they decided what the Ron prefer, and that's what's that. And we know that there's many different classifications indicating many different people today. When this book was made, that wasn't there. That wasn't a thing that was in the way, or you never would see it. Um, It is unfair to demonize a book because it was written in a time when either they were ignorant to the fact that that was offensive, 
it wasn't as well known, or the fact that even if they were aware of it, they thought they could put it in there because it wasn't to draw attention to the racial aspect that that was, but to highlight the fact that they prefer to be called something else, I think is the point, and what they consider themselves. But the, in other words, the Striders are well-traveled, and in that well-traveled, they know these people, and they know how they are, and they choose them as kinfolk. Later on, when are out of their out of their realm, they, they basically mingle the blood and travel with them, learning their ways and showcasing theirs because they're already traveling around. Now, why does the Silent Strider travel? Well, if you didn't get it from the beginning of the story, it's because they had to get quicker to run and get their ancestors and bring them back, indicating that Owl did more than just teach them how to see in the dark. There's many other gifts that were taught to them by spirits. Speed was a factor, and that's what they needed. Second thing they point out was that of all the people that Phoenix could have gone to to deliver the Phoenix prophecy that's huge in Werewolf, they highlight the fact that Phoenix went to a Silent Strider to deliver the message. Now, why is that? Who's faster to go from Cairn to Cairn? Who knows best how to travel those waters? Uh, probably the ones who have done nothing but travel and give messages. And it indicates that if these guys know the Egyptians so well, and they also had that relationship with the Ron Caravans, that they're world-traveled, they're best-traveled. They know how to get around. Because one of the biggest things of that curse that doesn't reference to you was the fact that apparently they were thrown out of their homeland. They can't be where they were at. When this, when this all started, they lost the war. So that's a big contention point. And so being lost, you must find your way. Gives them a reason to travel. So the silent striders be striding. That's pretty much what this all is saying. That's the reason why the Roman do what they do. That's why they're trusted as messengers as well. Or at least are given the task of FedEx messenger on foot. Um, they'd be a hit in Sweden. Oh, yeah? Car deliveries aren't here. Everybody does a bike for delivery. That's what they want. You know, a few people will be on foot to deliver you something like Uber or whatever. I think that's pimp. Sound Striders be making bank. You know, Sound Strider will be at your door in three seconds. I just ordered the food. They're that quick because the umber's great, right? I don't know. But anyway, finishing this interest point I want to get to is because there are some camps and there are some interesting ones, but none more interesting than the Eaters of the Dead. Brentron, mm. what is this camp? And remember, folks, camps in these tribes at this point are kind of like secret societies within it. Yes. There are camps here, and then this is sort of a secret society hidden amongst the camps of the Striders. Definitely have a cultural reason for having, and you can see that connection. It's a little strange. Brent, what's up with these guys? Yeah, uh, well, you see, Bob, there's a little thing in uh, the Guru Nation about, um, you know, the litany? You heard about this? Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, I, I think you have. There's a there's a little bit uh, that most people don't know about the litany where it says you know you're not supposed to eat the flesh of people. Apparently that's a big uh, faux pas. Um, however, eaters of the dead are like, well, look. Sometimes people die knowing things, and that's just a travesty. Travesty. Uh, lost knowledge is horrible. You know what if it's it's knowledge about the worm that we can use to like you know actually help win the war. Well, uh, you know, this this person died over here. Uh, he was some Pintech executive. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure he's buried. I'll get rid of the body. No one will ever find it. Um, and what he does is he takes it into his van and he eats the brain. <laughs> Eaters of the Dead is not some, like, symbolic name. It is like um, calling a bruja a wrecking ball. Right, it's an apt description. And when they eat these brains of people, they do it to get their knowledge. Oh, Here's my favorite thing about these, because I'm going to go in on this a little bit. We talked about vampires, right? Oh, Seth, raise a fist and shake at him. 
Uh, turns out they know that when you kill a vampire, the body returns to the state it should have been, like in that natural decompositional state. So if you kill a, an elder, well, there goes its brain. Can't learn anything from that. So, uh, But we found out you can punch them enough or like stake them to where they don't move anymore. And then you can eat the brain while they're still alive. And that was terrifying. These guys are not good guys, Bob. They're, they're not good guys, and they're also not... Those elders aren't surviving that encounter. Oh, no. They right? will Eating die. that brain, they're done. Right? I want to highlight that. Otherwise, they're just a state carcass sitting in a tomb somewhere. And, you know, however... Whatever way you want to play that out, that's, that's the way it is. Now, why? Is because they don't just eat the brain. I mean, it makes sense. There is a right here that they have to perform. It's the right of dormant wisdom is the name of it. That's what they do. And this... The purpose of it is exactly what you said. It's to gain the knowledge of the dead. Now, why are they able to do this? Because this is an example of the culture the the guru mixed with kind of bleeds over onto them as well. They make it their own. The Egyptians, when they do uh, mummification, there's a reason they have these jars, these canopic jars. It's to preserve the organs that were considered the seat of certain things. I don't memorize all of them, but I definitely know that each one was important. Like the heart was definitely important, as was the brain. Uh, The brain here is considered the seat of all knowledge that a person contained in their life, so to speak. Or at least the eaters of the dead definitely believe that. So when they have you, that's why they're eating brains of certain humans with that right. And, of course, elder vampires. It's not just any vampire. It has to be the most knowledgeable. The one that is showcasing knowledge of, like, centuries. Great, great villains. Hidden in the right because they believe they're doing good. Now, why? It's a religious practice to them. No more should be considered wrong than when, well, someone else has to do something to devour a soul for, to gain memory, right? This this is a reoccurring theme in a lot of what White Wolf did and built, and they wanted that here. And you'll see that in First Ed actually uh, shared. This is a methodology that is like, in another way, diablery, but for werewolves. Now, I'm not dumbing it down. I'm telling you that the Eaters of the Dead treat this as a holy rite, but look how their people treat it. It's abominable by what they do. Interesting. That's exactly as a vampire should treat the Aubrey because it does the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's abominable, right? You're stealing their knowledge, secrets, and power through cannibalism is the effect here. Now, what's interesting, when these guys get caught, they're not killed. I'll repeat that. We know that eating the brain and eating the flesh of people you shouldn't against the litany, you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it. You shouldn't. Damn it, Brennan. Stop it. Look, I know Pete knew particle physics and had four other degrees and stuff, we can't even begin to understand, but she just ate his brain. And then Brunchon yeah. goes, yeah, but I dissolved how we can repair the dam easily and cost-effective. And he walks over and can write out the formula just like his buddy did, or his victim used to be able to. And they went, well, killing you now seems to be a moot point, because that'd be a waste of the knowledge. Well, we're going to do right of the, we're going to give you voice of the jackal, and you're going to talk with a really high-pitched voice and be embarrassing for a while until you learned your lesson, okay? All right. Go get cleansed and we'll forget this happened. And I guess, how does it feel to have four degrees? Right? Um, (laughs) That's how they treat it. Like, all right, we're not going to kill them, but here it is. And then they thought they discouraged people enough to not be part of it. But all they did was they drive the eaters of the dead to be more secretive. Now, why? Well, because it was the road to power. If knowledge is power, they figured out a way to get it. And they get it from your enemies who would do anything to use it against you. So why wouldn't they do it? The ends justify the means. Oh, do they? Okay, well, now you know why they got to be secret about it. But it's not necessarily a penalty of death. However, over the years, when you do find one and they smell a little funny, that's when the elders get together to discuss something harsher. 
Like, what's going on? Like, who's, what, what, what are you doing? Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you remember us going over Freak Legion, this should ring in your head like, what? How are they any different than the Fomori who eat brains? If you crack that book open, there's a Fomori power that directly does this with no need for a right. They grab someone, eat their brain, and gain their knowledge. They directly steal it to get smarter and more powerful. And that's the connector between the two. But this is also highlighting something. The Silent Striders have a strange relationship with worm-based knowledge because of that. Why? It's proven in their intro story. She encountered the worm at the gate. Later on down the road, there's a couple times you're like, that's an interesting call. Even look at Mephi and how he handles getting rid of the ghost. I highlighted that. Mephi's a little villainous there. It's a little interesting. He goes and emotionally scars someone, which by any argument would, would forward the need of, of Pentex, right? We're trying to use a group to basically um, harm people for a lengthy amount of time that would be emotionally damaging. Now, this is that whole uh, worm of corruption effect, right? Why would we do something to a child that's permanent when we could just heap on abuse to where they get older? They're going to be abusive and do the same. See what I mean? No one expects a child, but they grow up to be abused. We've done our job, right? There's a whole cult of the seventh generation that's based around this whole scheme to do it. Well, here I see Memphi innocently do the doll thing, or is he innocent? And that guy's all sorts of butthurt about it. Like, my daughter? She's dead. How do you know her? Help me. And he's like, all right, job well done. I'm taking off and keeping her dolly. All right, that seems a bit dickish. But then you get down to the ears of the dead and we don't kill them. And I begin to go, okay, well, case closed, Your Honor. The Silent Striders already had signs of being corrupt. A little too much fighting set in Osiris. A little too much stuff they were doing to get, you know, elbow to elbow. But that's why I like the Silent Striders. They have a whole gamut. They have heroes and not so heroic. That make this a great book to have and the seeds and beginning of them. This stuff gets rounded out better as we go forward, but this is only first dead. Brennan, thank you, brother. This is a blast going through this with you. And uh, tune in next time, of course, as we go over the next book. But uh, until then, you guys have a happy Thanksgiving and do enjoy your post-turkey meal. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, at our email, info at 25YearsVTM.com, on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25YearsVTM, or on our website, www.25YearsVTM.com. If you would like to support us, we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade.